All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Let's uh, go ahead and make our way back to our seats this morning. So good to see you guys today. Uh, hopefully fall has, a, has officially made it as far as the temperature goes. We'll find out soon. Hopefully it sticks. Uh, listen, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles uh, to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, we're actually going to be starting a series today in this book, and um, I, I cannot truly recall a time that I've ever really spent any kind of length in the book of Revelation. Typically, it's a reference here or there, but to spend, we're going to spend the next five weeks uh, out of this book, and, but we're only going to cover the first three chapters, and we're going to, co- I know, right? Uh, but there are so, there's so much to cover but we're primarily going to be focusing out of, the, out of those first three chapters, the introduction, which will be part of today. And then we're going to look at the, fir- the, uh, the seven letters that were written to the seven churches at that time at the province of Asia. And so actually that's what this whole series is called, Seven Letters to Seven Churches. And so we're going to look at those and look at how those pertain to us today and draw wisdom and insight from the Holy Spirit that helps us in our daily walk in the Lord right where we live. So let's read, uh, we're going to read chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 to start off with, and then in a moment we'll, we'll flip over to chapter 2. But let's just pick this up and then to set things in motion. Revelation 1 verse 1 says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Aren't you thankful that he's still to come? From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. There's no one above Jesus. And all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, thank God, by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Verse 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him and those who, who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, Amen, in verse 8, in parentheses, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. And I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Let's pray. Lord, May your word travel and hit us like thunder today. 
May it rattle our soul, shake things loose, shake things up, and then stabilize us where we are unstable. Secure us where we are feeble. Strengthen us where we are weak. Give us faith to persevere and move forward. Not be overcome by doubt. To not be tainted by sin. And not to be scared of anything. Do a work in us today by your word. We give you our ears. We give you our heart and our lives right now. Speak a word into us that would help us. And help me preach it in a way that would honor you and help your people. In the name of Jesus, we can collaboratively say amen, amen. and amen. I don't know who exactly gets the nod for this quote. Some say John Wesley, others say those who were associated with him. They can't quite figure it out from what I was able to read about it. But this quote, nonetheless, is still a good quote. And this is the quote, Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come for miles to watch you burn. I titled this message today, Light the Fire Again. John the Apostle wrote this letter, this letter of Revelation around A.D. 95. I'm going to give a little bit of background to set this series up. It was written at a time of intense persecution under the Emperor Domitian, And here's what happened. They tried to kill John by burning him with boiling oil for preaching the gospel. Tried to burn him with boiling oil. Well, guess what? That did not kill him. Go figure. It did not kill him. He survived being burned with boiling oil. Now, I'm not talking about like just on his hand, like his whole entire body for preaching Jesus, right? Didn't kill him. So what'd they do? They said, let's send him out to the island of Patmos and maybe he'll die out there. Pat, the island of Patmos was about 20 miles off the coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, in the Aegean Sea. And the word Patmos means, literally means my killing. It means my killing. Rome would send their prisoners and criminals out there so they couldn't escape. So that's what they did with, with John, the apostle. Sent him to this place called my killing. So it was very rugged, very, very bare, lonely, isolated island. And that's where they thought he would spend the rest of his days and he would die. Well, while on this barren, rugged, lonely island, Jesus visits him. I think it just goes to show us, no matter how low we can get, Jesus can still get to us. Nobody, no, no matter how bare and rugged life can be, friend, there, there, there's hope that Jesus can still reach you. So wherever you might be in life right now, may we take hope that Jesus sees you and he can reach you. And he visits John 
John goes on to talk about this in the, in the rest of chapter 1. Goes on to talk about this and tries to explain as best as he could what he's feeling and what he's seeing. You ever been in a moment with God's presence and it was hard to describe? You tried to give it expression. You tried to give it some kind of, some kind of adjective to describe and it's hard sometimes. John was in that mode. He was in that place. He, he was trying so hard. He, I think he did a really good job because he, the rest of the whole book is so, so detailed with images and pictures and analogies. And, and it says that he's, he's in this, on this island and Jesus visits him and he reminds John. He said, John, it's me. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I, I was, I am, and I am still to come. I'm not finished with your life yet. I'm not finished with this world yet. I still have reason. I still have purpose to, to accomplish. And part of that includes you, John. I want you to write a letter. Actually, I want you to write seven letters to seven churches. And John turns around to see who it is who is speaking to him, and he falls to the ground afraid. And Jesus reaches out and touches John and says, Hey, don't be afraid. It's all right. It's me. I'm alive. I was dead, but I'm alive. In fact, what I'm dangling in my hand is a set of keys. I hold the keys of death and hell. No one can, can, can snatch these keys from me. I control that. I hold that. I am the keeper of the keys. And he said, so what I'm, what I'm going to show you and what I want to tell you, you can trust that it's legit. And so they, Jesus starts to show him in fact, there was this, there's, I found a picture. Uh, there's lots of pictures that describe. Do we have that picture? Can you show that picture? Uh, this is, that kind of shows what John was seeing. The, the, uh, a sword coming out of the mouth of the Lord. Uh, seven lampstands, seven stars in his hand. Uh, just white as wool. Fire all around. And there's, if you Google John the Revelation and pictures, you're going to find quite a few different ones that that try to depict that, and different variations of that. Nonetheless, Jesus was showing himself to John as, hey, John, I am awesome. I am amazing. Not, obviously, there's no braggadocious spirit about Christ because it is what he is. He was, he is, and he is still to come. And he's, but he, it's his awesomeness and the power of who he is, and he's showing, hey, I am perfect. And John begins to listen to what he says and he says those seven stars in my right hand are the seven messengers to the seven churches the seven lampstands are those seven churches and I have a message for each one of them and I want you to write about it so you following along with where this whole thing's going John wasn't losing his mind John wasn't hallucinating John had an encounter with Jesus when he was at his perhaps at one of his lowest spots he was burned with boiling oil and there's no no wonder what he looked like, the, 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 the disfigurement of his body. And then he was taken 20 miles out to this island of my killing, Patmos. And Jesus visits him and gives him this revelation. Can you imagine that? Maybe, maybe you, might, you might feel something like that with John. You might feel like your life is destroyed. Some things about you were just completely just annihilated in you. 
But in your lowest and in your worst state of life, Jesus can visit you and Jesus can put things back together and Jesus can reformat things for you and refresh things in your life and still fulfill a purpose out of you. That's the goodness of him. And then we get this letter, this book of Revelation, out of this story, out of this experience. And I can't sit here and tell you I understand all of Revelation. That's probably why I have not ever really preached from Revelation. Because I'm like, I, I want to know more, but at the same time, I, I don't. I, there's a lot of it that, that's, there's a lot of books that have been written. There's a lot of people out there that talk about it. But we're going to look at these first seven letters over the next five weeks. And we're going we're to start with the first letter, the letter at the church of Ephesus. Now I want to tell you this, there are some... There are some, um, I think there's some things we need to remember and to, and to consider as we approach these seven letters over these next few weeks. Uh, there's some variables and there's some constants. The variables that, that, I, uh, that I would point out are these, and that is this, there's no perfect church. You're going to see that with each one of these churches, there's no perfect church. If you're out here trying to find a perfect church, you're going to be searching for one until Jesus, the, the chief of the church, comes back. Because there is not a perfect church on planet earth because we're imperfect people. But we do have a chief shepherd who is perfect. And if we will put more of our faith in him and less of our faith in people, we will be less offended and more on target with what God has for our life. Not that God doesn't use people to help people. He's been doing that since the beginning. But we have our flaws, right? So there's no perfect church. Another variable is this. There are, there's a variety of expressions of churches. There's no church that's just cornered the market on how it's supposed to be. Another variable is this. Churches change over time. Churches change. That's why I say to folks who are kind of new and looking at church, give a church your Give a church five years before you, before you make a decision to leave that church. Give it time. Give the pastor time. Give the leadership time. Give the people time. Give yourself time to really dig in and, 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 and cultivate yourself and root into the culture of that church. Give it some time because churches change. Here's some constants to consider when you read these letters. Repentance matters a whole lot. Repentance matters a whole lot. It opens up the window of heaven, the windows of heaven to be poured out into our life as we repent and turn to the Lord. Another constant is this. Hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say matters a whole lot. That's just rain. It's just rain. It's all good, yes. Hearing what the Holy Spirit matters a lot. And then another constant is this, is that you'll see in these letters, victory from Jesus is guaranteed to those who remain faithful. Always. So these are some things that, that we need to remember as we, as we kind of work our way through these letters over the next few weeks. Okay, is everybody with me? Okay. My, my heart in this message is not to be a rambunctious sermon. My heart in this message today is to be a revivalist sermon. I'm not here to perform for you. I'm here just to preach the word to you. Amen? 
And to those who will hear what the Spirit says, then you'll get what He wants you to get. Amen? All right. Let's look at this first letter, chapter 2. Seven verses. We're going to read those to kick it off. And this is what Jesus tells John to write. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I'm so thankful Jesus lets us know that he holds the messengers in his hand and that he is in the midst of his people. That's still a comforting thought to me to know that we are not alone, that we have the presence of Jesus with us. And that he, as the chief shepherd, that's what Peter calls him, the chief shepherd. As the chief shepherd, he knows exactly what every church needs to hear. He knows exactly what type of expression the church needs to have. He knows exactly what to do in every church. Because he's the shepherd, he's the head over the church. All right? Nothing like preaching in the country with the rain coming down. Let's, let's move forward. Verse 2. This is what he begins to say to the church at Ephesus. He says, and he sandwiches this whole thing with a positive, a negative, and a positive. Positive is this. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Positive. Negative. He says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. He said, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me or repent and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, he says, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Here comes the, the positive again. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. So he sandwiches this whole thing with, with this church. And the essence of what he's trying to get across is, hey, I see and I recognize all the good you're doing. I love what you're doing. You're faithful. You stand up for righteousness. You stand up for truth. You work hard. You labor so well. But you have allowed your first love for me to dissipate. You've allowed the fire in your heart for me to go away. And he says, I, I love how you labor, but your labor is not love. Try not to love me from what you do. Love me for who I am and what I am able to do in your life. He says, you love me. He says, you, you labor for me, but your, your first love for me, it's dissipated. Several translations might say you, you have left your first love. You have lost your first love, and you, your fire has gone out. He says, but you have this thing going on for you. You don't like, you hate the evil deeds of these people called the Nicolaitans. Their, their name means destruction of people. And what they were doing, they were a stumbling block to the church at the time. They, they were all about saying, hey, you can't eat certain food, sacrifice to idols, but you can 
you can, uh, you can fornicate all you want to. You can have all the sex you want to in and out of marriage. But it doesn't matter. Just don't eat certain foods. Sacrifice idols. I mean, come on. That's jacked up stuff. And they were standing against that stuff. This is what they were dealing with. They were standing firm against that. So you take the two positives, and that's what they were about. But what was missing was love. They were missing love. Their love for God had, had, had waned. Their love for the Lord had dissipated. Because I love what you do. You do good. You're all about righteousness. You work hard for me. But really, what I really want what I really want you to have is love for me first. And he tells them, hey, repent from trying to, to do good to love me, to show that you love me, and just love me from your heart. Just love me from your heart. And this, this whole story reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of King David's story. And David writes a psalm, in the Psalm 51. He writes many, but Psalm 51 it was a psalm, a prayer of repentance that David prayed after he had, uh, he had committed adultery with, with his neighbor Bathsheba and covered it up in any way. The Lord dealt with him, and he had this sincere prayer. I just want to look at verse 16 and 17. It'll be on the screen. And first in the New Living Translation, it says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer you one, Lord. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart oh god look at this in the passion translation david prays for the source of your pleasure god is not in my performance or the sacrifices that i might offer you the fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you you will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. In other words, I think David was saying, Lord, I could do a million sacrifices for you to try to gain your love for me, but you're not after what I can do for you. You're after my heart. You're after a broken and contrite heart that is before you. Because you see, when we're humble in our heart, then we can receive God's grace. But when we make our relationship with God based on our performance, then we don't need his help. We just do it on our own source. And God is not looking for our performance as much as he is looking for our heart. We get so focused on the, on the product that we forsake the one who is able to produce in us a good product. And that is Jesus. And so David was praying this to him. He's like, Lord, I could try to do all these things to try to make up for what I, how, I, how, I, how I failed you, how I let so many people down, how I made so many mistakes. I could try to go all, work all night, every day, to try to make up for it, but that's not what you want. What you want is my heart. Because if, you'll get, if he gets our heart, then he knows the outcome of our life will be what it needs to be. So let's work on not getting that backwards. Let's work on just, Lord, take my heart. And this, this story reminds me of another story. It's actually a parable that Jesus talked about. You can read about it in Luke 15. I'm just going to do kind of a summation of this story for time's sake today. But you can look it up. It's the, prodigal, it's the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. 
And you, in this story, you got three main characters. You got the father, who is in essence God. Then you've got the younger son and the younger and the older son, or the younger brother and the older brother, which could be any one of us. And so the younger son goes to the father and he says, hey, I want my inheritance. Let's go ahead and give me everything that's mine. He, he gets it and it wasn't too much longer that he takes everything that his father gave him and he goes out into the world and lives a life that is completely opposite of God. He lives for himself and he wastes everything he has trying to live a life of, that will bring him personal pleasure. And he says he finally came to his senses and he's like, you know what? I need to get out of this because this is not working for me. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm broke. I'm poor. I'm destitute. I don't have anything left. Maybe I could just go back home, but really, if I go home, really, here's what I'll do. I'll just talk to my dad. I'll talk to my father, and I'll explain everything to him and tell him how sorry I am for letting him down. But then I'm going to just let him know, hey, I don't expect to be a, your, your son in the house. Just make me one of your hired servants. I'll be cool with that. I'll be all right. If you just make me one of your hired servants, everything will be okay with me. Here's the thing with that. The hired servant was the lowest servant on the totem pole, so to speak. You had a bond servant, a servant, and a hired servant. A bond servant had a lot of interaction with the family. A regular servant had mediocre interaction with the family. But the hired servant was like the lowest one there. Had zero interaction with the family. Had zero rights to the family conversations. And it could be fired at any given time for no matter what. And that is what this son wanted to be, a hired servant. So his perception of how his father looked at him was not accurate. And how he saw himself was not very good. And so he, he does. He journeys home. And as he's journeying home, it says that the father is looking out for his son, just anticipating any day now, my boy's going to be back. My boy's coming home. I know. I feel it in my bones. My son's going to make his way back home. And all this time goes by, but the father never stops looking out to see if his son is coming home. And that's the same for any one of us. God is looking out to look for you, to look for us. Because he wants us. And so they, they, the father sees him, and it says the father runs after this son, catches him and embraces him, hugs him, kisses him. I mean, he's filthy. He's been, he's been feeding pigs, been laying in the, in, the, in, the, in the mud with these pigs. I mean, he's nasty, filthy, dirty. The father doesn't care. The father's not turned off by his disgrace. The father's not turned off by his son's mess. God is not offended by our mess, people. God is not offended by our mess. When we think God's offended by our mess, we try to keep it and hold it and hide it. And we think we're going to work it out on our own. No. God just says, let me after you. Let me hug you. Let me embrace you. And that's what, exactly what he does with this, with this younger son. And the son tries to start this conversation and let him know, hey, Dad, I'm real sorry about what I did. And he tries to start that whole, that whole peacemaking conversation with his father. And his father stops him, and he brings him up to the house, and he says, hey, everybody, look. Look who's home. Look who's back. He says, quick, real quick, I need you to run inside and get the family robe. Run inside and get the family ring. Run inside and get the family shoes. Because they belong on him. 
I want my son who was lost, who is now found, the one who was dead, who is now alive, who, who was out living his life, but has come back home, who came to his senses and realized this is where he belongs. I wanted to know he gets the family robe of righteousness. He will be clothed in right standing with me. He doesn't have to do anything to earn it. He just had to come back. And now I'm going to put this family ring on his, on his finger because I want him to know he has identity here. He is a son of mine. He has identity with me. And I'm going to put some new shoes on his feet because he's barefooted and his feet are nasty. And I want him to understand something. Out there, he didn't have a place to stand. With me, he belongs. With me, he belongs. And that, friends, is a picture of the love of God at work for humanity. He's just looking for us to come back to him. And so the father says, hey, awesome, I love, I love this. this, this makes my day. He's like, we're going to throw a party. Let's have a party. Go out and kill the biggest cow we got. Let's burn that joker. Let's eat some meat. Let's have some steaks. Let's have some burgers. Let's do it right. I'm talking the biggest cow we got. And so they throw this party, and they're just they're celebrating life again, celebrating identity, celebrating purpose, celebrating the fact that this soul that was once lost and tainted and, and out in this world has come back to God. And then the older brother comes out of the fields working, and he sees, what's, he sees all the commotion, and he's, I mean, he, he sees, I mean, there's a lot of things happening, and he's like, what is going on? Sees one of the other servants, he's like, what's happening? Servant said, well, your, your younger brother actually came back home. And your dad's throwing a party for him. In fact, he killed the biggest cow. Throwing a party. And it's awesome. I mean, like, dude, I, I really, I grilled some good stuff. Like, it's good. You need to come in and get you some. You need to see your brother because he, 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 you won't even recognize him. You won't even recognize him. So what does the older brother do? The older brother gets mad. The older brother throws a fit. The older brother says, no, I am not going in. That, that brother of mine has no right to be back here. He wasted everything our father gave him. He does not deserve to be back here anymore. And his father hears what happened, and he, his father comes out to this older brother, to the older son, and he's like, hey, didn't you hear your brother's home? He's like, oh, I heard. Yeah, I heard. He's like, well, you're you going to come in? I mean, this is great. He's like, no, I'm not coming in. He goes, I have stayed with you. I have stayed with you this entire time. I never disobeyed you. I was a good boy. I obeyed you. I did everything you asked me to do and then some. And not one time did you ever throw me or my friends a party. Not one time. And the father's like, listen, I had to throw him a party. He was unable to throw himself one because he was lost. But he came back. And now he's found. He was dead, and he is alive again. He, this is where he belongs. I had to throw him a party, and for you, 
you could have threw a party anytime you wanted because everything I have belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. You've had access to this all of this time. And friends, I think probably more often than not sometimes, we identify with the older brother who stayed. It's easy to identify the one who left. But we have trouble sometimes looking in the mirror and seeing that, man, maybe I'm the one who stayed. Because the older brother, what happened? He was trying to love his father based on his labor. And he thought, if I'll cross all my T's, I'll dot all my I's, and I'll be a good little Christian, then I'll be okay. But what happens when, every, when things don't always go your way? What happens when things don't always turn out the way you thought? You're going to rely on crossing your T and dotting your I and praying your bedtime prayer? It was never based in anything you and I could ever do for God. It's always been based on what God can do for us. We were incapable of saving ourselves. That's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And I think sometimes we can be like the older brother more often than we probably care to admit because we try to love from our labor and not from our heart, which is why we feel guilty, we feel condemned, we live life of regrets. That's why we can't forgive others when they offend us. That's why we have trouble letting things go. Because we don't like to forgive ourselves. And this older brother was struggling. His dad was trying to show him, hey, I just want you to love me from your heart not from all the labor. I'm so th like the letter to Ephesus in Revelation. I see all your good work. So I see all the hard work. I love the way you oversee plowing those fields. I love the way you brought in extra harvest this last year, man. I didn't think to do it that way, but you did, and you, did, you went so far above and beyond to make things good for this family and for all of these other folks who work here. So I see all your good work. I mean, you have been a good son. You have been good. You, have been, you haven't been disrespectful. You, you have hung in there with me. And uh, not too long ago, when things got tight, you pulled your piggy bank out, and you gave me some of what was yours. So I see all that. But really, everything I have is yours. You had access to it all this time you tried to please me by being good I want you just to love me because I am good friends if you try to live life pleasing God by being good you're gonna always let him down and you're always gonna let yourself down and yeah we're always gonna let people down but if we live from the center of our heart from our soul just concentrated on, I love Jesus. I love him from here. 
So what if I make mistakes? So what if I fall short? It's going to happen. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we we're just can go do whatever we want to do because Jesus tells John to write, you also have this in your favor. You don't like the evil deeds they're doing, and I don't like it either, and I'm so proud that you don't follow the crowd. But your heart, your love for me, your fire for me has gone out. The worship team, those who are helping close out, you guys can go ahead and make your way back up. I would not even want to go out there right now anyway. You're just going to get wet. But he ends, each letter ends pretty much a real similar way. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 2. It said, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. And to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. I think one of the things he's saying is he's calling us back. He's calling the church back to love Jesus first. For us not to get so caught up in our labor and in our product but to love Jesus first from our heart, who is the one who is able to produce in us all the right things, all the good things. 1 John 4, 19 tells us that we love Jesus first because he first loved us. We can't love him without recognizing that he first loved us. He first loved us. And we don't love him out of guilt or it's the religious thing to do. You don't love him because of that. That's your performance. That's your labor. But here's the thing. Loving Jesus is what we were created for. We were created to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's rooted not in what we can do for him but rather it's rooted in his love for us so we're going to close out with this song a song we sang earlier in our worship time I just asked them to redo this song again it's oh lord you are beautiful oh lord you are beautiful your face is all I seek And it talks about light the fire of my first love. Anybody in here today burned out on religion? Burned out on trying to please God by being good enough? Are you tired of trying to do all the right things but yet coming up short and feeling disgusted, discouraged, disheartened. And you might 
even see that flesh out in how you treat other people. Expecting others to live a certain level and when they don't, like the older brother in the story, don't even want to be around them. And God, the whole time, is trying to have a conversation with us. It's like, hey, you belong. I have everything you need. I just want you to love me. If you can, let's stand to our feet. And we're going to close out with this song. I'm just going to ask you if you to take this, this next minute or two. And as we do this song, I have no idea. As we do this song, sing this song from your heart. If, you want, if you're wanting to reach out to God, you're wanting to touch God, you're wanting to know His love and His reassurance of your soul, then here, let this song be a prayer of your heart today. Let this song be a prayer of your heart today and use this opportunity to connect with Him because all He's wanting is one little open space for you just to say yes. You don't even have to know all of the answers. You just got to know that He's calling out to you and He wants you, that He really does want to light that fire again in our heart for us to love him more than we love doing the labor because the love for the labor and doing the good works comes from a healthy love that we have for him and knowing the love that he has for us. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll sing. Oh God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment today. wherever we might be on the spectrum of faith you call out to us you speak to us you draw near to us because you love us and Lord as we come before you right now so we, we're going to sing this song of prayer and of an anthem of our heart I pray that whatever barrier whatever hindrance any one of us might have that keeps us from truly connecting with you. Just ask right now in the name of Jesus to break that barrier. Demolish that obstacle. Destroy that stronghold. Anybody in here feeling heavy with chains of burden and guilt, today may they feel the freeing power of Jesus unlocking those chains and destroying that guilt and loving them unconditionally. Right now, Holy Spirit, come. Touch our hearts as we look to you right now. In Jesus' name.